Friends, as we make our way back to our seat, I would just like to remind everybody, if you're a guest here with us today, we are in a series of messages since the beginning of the year, which isn't that long ago, 2024. Unbelievable, we've made it this far. And we're focusing on the gospel. Now you say, well, that's obvious. You're a church. That should be what you're all about. But as we looked a few weeks ago, the gospel itself which means, in the original language, the good news, the evangelion, the evangel, that uh, gives its name to evangelists, those who share the good news, evangelism, the process of hearing the good news. Well, in the ancient world, that word evangel was powerful, the good news. And it wasn't just good news like, oh good, I don't have to take an umbrella out today, that's good news. It, It was great news. It was liberating news. We looked at some times in history where that good news broke forth, when a nation would be saved, a battle would be won. Uh, The great victories were often called evangel, when the news would arrive in a city. When Abraham Lincoln in 1863 signed the beginning of the year the Emancipation Proclamation, the evangel, the good news was that a people who were in bondage had been set free. The slaves received their freedom. That was good news. And so when the Bible uses that word, the good news, the good news of the gospel, we sometimes are distant from it because our English language, we use an old Middle English word, which no longer is in use, spell, which means good news, but it seems distant. The gospel to us is like those first four books of the New Testament or, or uh, good music, good gospel music. It, it just sort of becomes a, a church term, a religious term. We forget how good the good news is. And so for these weeks, we've been walking through how good the good news is, that we do have that victory, we do have that freedom, that sin, the bad news, that you need salvation before we can receive the good news We have to understand the bad news, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death, but then the good news breaks in, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And we looked at that, that it is a gift, and the Greek word for gift was charis, which means grace. You grace somebody, you give them a gift. And salvation, the good news is that salvation is a gift, it's free. You can't earn it. Your good works are like filthy rags in God's sight. It's all of grace. It's God's giving heart. And all we can do is open our hearts and hands through faith. And even the Bible says in Ephesians that faith is not a work. That too is a gift from God. And from that grace, we looked last week at what we have received as a gift. First and foremost, forgiveness. And as we've seen the last two weeks, the gospel, the goodness of God, needs to leave a mark on our hearts. We who have been graced by God need to be gracious people. We who've been forgiven so much need to be forgiving of others ourselves. And as we've walked through, today we want to look at something that sets us apart as followers of Jesus from the religions of the world. The great world religions, religions large and small. Religions come about because God has created the human heart with a space in it for God. We are by nature people who seek to worship and to have a greater one than us. 
For many of us, though, we flounder about and we, we make our possessions our God, our bank account God, money, power, pleasure. Or we can take our hands and carve something out of wood or make it out of metal, and those idols can become our gods. Religions tend to be based around rules. You've got to follow rules because that greater power is usually angry with you and you have to appease them by following rules and taboos. The societies on distant islands, they still have that in their hearts. They set aside rules, they have taboos, and they seek to follow them. And it's hard work. It's a lot of labor. But apart from all of these human religions, what we see revealed in God's Word is something different for His people. Of all other people in the world, you alone, as a follower of Jesus, truly have, truly have a sense of assurance of salvation. Others seek to have it, but they know as soon as they break a rule, that is gone. And they struggle with doubt and fears. They, sociologists call those fear-based religions, which we certainly aren't. That assurance that we have, for instance, is reflected in God's Word in 1 John. 1 John chapter 5. The Apostle John ends his letter this way, and he says, and this is the testimony. He's been talking throughout the letter how you know you're a believer. He's been setting aside the marks of what followers of Jesus look like. And he finishes by saying, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You may know it. And the knowledge there, the gnosis there in Greek, is full knowledge. You are firm. You know it in the depths of your heart. You don't doubt it. And you live your life by it and you're transformed by it and your life is different because of it. Last year we went through a series of messages that looked at the biblical themes and some of the great old hymns. And one of those we didn't look at though is Blessed Assurance. I called this message Blessed Assurance. Because that's what you have as your birthright, as a child of God. Now I also have a picture there about the theological concept of eternal security. And the two, I believe, goes ha- go hand in hand. But while you may have security in Christ, not every Christian has blessed assurance. That's an attitude. That's an understanding that we live our life by. And when we are out of fellowship with Christ, when we have unconfessed sin in our lives, we struggle with a sense of assurance. We struggle with de- doubt and despair. You find the people who have assurance are those who are prayerful, those who are faithful, those who are loving on a daily basis, sharing the love of Jesus. They don't spend time worrying and doubting their salvation. They've got amazing, blessed assurance. But when we talk about assurance this morning, I want to share with you a definition, as I often do. One of my go-to resources is the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. And a theologian named H.M. Dodd wrote this about assurance. He says, assurance is the soul's apprehension, that means understanding, the soul's apprehension of its complete emancipation from the power of evil and from consequent judgment. 
through the atoning sacrifice of Christ. It's the exact opposite of self-confidence, being a joyous appropriation and experience of the fullness of Christ, a glad sense of security, freedom, and eternal life in Him. How true. How true. I say amen to that. That sense of security, freedom, and eternal life in Him. As we come to the communion table, that celebration, that assurance we have, because it's based in Christ, is what we celebrate. And we reflect upon the fact that the gift, though free to us, was bought with the highest of prices, Jesus' death for us on the cross. And so friends, today I want to remind you of something that's basic to Scripture, something that should be part of your, your outlook, your worldview, the assurance of faith that we have in Christ. And the fact, friends, is that the basic, if I could sum the whole message up in one sentence and then say amen, we could go home. The fact is, the sentence is, your salvation, you can have assurance because it doesn't depend on you. It's entirely of Christ. Just as it was a gift, it was of grace, you are kept in Him by grace. You don't earn your salvation through your actions. You don't lose your salvation through your actions. Now, that become, sounds very basic, but it can be very controversial. You can go online or maybe you have a friend in a denomination that doesn't believe in eternal security and they struggle with assurance and, and they'll say that is, uh, that is just weak, weak. That's fire insurance faith. That's once saved, always saved, just leads to a life of sin. But I see it just the opposite. Just the opposite. Let's look briefly at what I mean by this. First, it's not ours. Salvation is God's work, not ours. We're told in Scripture time and time again that those who are redeemed by Jesus, that He foreknew you, He predestined you, and your name is written before the foundations of the world. And God doesn't write in pencil with an eraser. God writes in blood of the Lamb. God holds us in His hands. And one author I read says, God doesn't have butterfingers. You're not going to slip through. He's not going to drop you. We can trust Him. Because salvation is entirely God's work, not ours. The Apostle Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, his letter to Ephesus, beginning in verse 3. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ. Just a preview. The next blessing of the good news we'll talk about next week is the fact that we are God's children. The doctrine and the teaching of the Bible of adoption, of being in the family of God, co-heirs with Christ. And the fact is I often say that there's many metaphors for the church. Living stones of a temple, branches connected to the vine. 
But the family of God is not metaphorical. It's an eternal reality, and we'll see that and be blessed by it next week. You know, looking at this, some people say, well, that doctrine of of assurance, that doctrine of assurance, that seems fine. But don't you get a little flippant about your faith? Don't you begin to get a little casual because you're saved? Scripture talks about that. It warns against us not being on guard, not keeping our eyes on Jesus. But I have something that St. Augustine said. Augustine of Hippo. He was a bishop in North Africa. He said, To be assured of our salvation is no arrogant stoutness. It's faith. It's devotion. It's not presumption. It's God's promise. That's the basis of our assurance. That our salvation is God's work, not ours. Secondly, the fact is that security and safety, it's by God's power. It's our good shepherd. We are safe in God's power. Again, it's not ours. The Bible says Jesus claimed in John chapter 10 to be the good shepherd. The good shepherd that even David wrote Psalm 23 about. And Jesus is the good shepherd. He says, my sheep are safe. I hold them in my hands. Jesus says, beginning, I'll begin reading in verse 27, John 10. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus says, you are safe because you're in my hand. If I'm your Savior, you're saved. Not temporarily, you're saved. Eternal life is just that. It's forever. And no one can snatch you out of my hands. You are safe in the arms of Jesus. And friends, some days when things are good, this can be far from our mind. Very quickly, life changes. Phone call in the middle of the night. A visit to the doctor about some little thing that's been bothering you. And you find out that little thing was a symptom of a life-changing disease. Life can change suddenly. And then in times like that, the safety, the assurance, the security of being in God's hands becomes very important to us. We're safe by God's power, not our own. And we're kept, we're kept by God's faithfulness, not our own. Again, Ephesians says we're saved by grace through faith, and this not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Oh God, give us faith. Pray for faith. See increasing faith in God's people. We are kept by God's faithfulness. He is the faithful God. He's the trustworthy God. He's the promise keeper. I love the fact that that's a theme of Scripture. It's like a golden thread through the tapestry of Scripture. We see in Psalm 86, for instance, Psalm 86, we're told, But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Faithfulness means, in Hebrew especially, that He won't change. That He's unmoving. 
He's made His promise. He'll keep it. His Word literally is carved in stone. You can believe it. Paul says in 2 Timothy, if we are faithless, He will remain faithful, for He cannot disown Himself. We are in Christ. Christ is in the Father. This is revealed to us in Ephesians and Colossians. This is positionally our place through faith in Christ. And though we may stumble, and as John says, if we say we have no sin in our lives, we call God a liar. We need to come to Him and keep short accounts with Him that His children do not grieve the Holy Spirit by which we have been sealed for eternity. But we need to keep short accounts with God. He is the faithful one. Paul wrote to the church in Rome, and it was comprised probably pretty equal of Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And the Apostle Paul, he speaks at length because it seems that there's conflict between the value of being a Jew. The Gentile believers say, well, forget your Jewishness altogether. That's of no value. And the Apostle Paul reminds them that God has made promises to the people of Israel, that the Jews are the apple of his eye. And even though, Paul said at this time, in regard to Jesus, we find many of them have been faithless. God has not forgotten His promises. And speaking of the faithfulness of God, Paul reminds them in Romans 3, What if some did not have faith? Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every man a liar. God is faithful. He is the faithful one. So friends, we are secure. We're safe. We're kept. We're secure in God's love. The great heart of God is where you dwell. We're secure in God's love. It's, it's not ours. Our human love is, is fickled. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. It ebbs and it flows. But oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus shown to us in its fullness as Jesus died in your place on the cross. It's a humbling thing to encounter the grace of God, to see the price for our sin. In Sunday school today, in our, in our lesson, we talked about how the depth of a sacrifice is linked to love. How much you love someone is how far you'll sacrifice for them. And we reflected on the teaching of Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus, the Prince of Heaven, gave up heaven, became a human, humbled himself to death, even death on a cross for us because of our sin to win our salvation. We are secure in the love of God. If you struggle with assurance in God keeping you, as you've put your faith in Him. If I could have you read one chapter, I'd say devotionally, read Romans chapter 8. Then think about it. Journal it. Then read it again. Think about it. Read it again. (laughs) Romans chapter 8. It's not on the screen. It begins with this verse. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. There is now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's how it begins. And Paul, amazingly led by the Spirit and his incredible mind that God made him his instrument, he leads us through what that means. He unpacks it for us. And where does it end? The heart of God. The great love of God. This is what our hope is built on. God loves us and gave us this gift. Remind you of what it says at the end of the chapter. Paul has been asking the question, is there anything that can separate you from the love of Christ? Is it your stumbling? Is it your faithlessness some days? Some days you get up, you just are lacking in faith. Does that separate you from God's love? Or are you God's child as we'll look closer next week? A child that he won't disinherit. Paul says, can anything, even death, separate us from God's love? And he finishes this way, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's where we are. We're in Christ. Most precious description of a Christian. You are in Christ. Everything that God deals with you now is as you are in Christ. You are in His Son. The Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon of Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, when my son Mike and I went a few years ago, right at the beginning of COVID, COVID-19, we were there in October 2019 in London, and my son was deathly sick with an illness. He later claimed to be patient zero of COVID-19. I think he was exaggerating. But one of the places I wanted to see of all of the incredible spots and museums, uh, the ancient manuscripts of the scripture that we went to see where uh, John Wesley received Christ in Aldersgate Road. I wanted to see the Metropolitan Tabernacle where Charles Spurgeon, that great opponent of modernism, preached. And I love to quote Charles Spurgeon. When it came to this, he said, if God's hands even let one of his children slip through, even one, If it's possible, he says, there is no hope for you and I. Because if we could be lost, we would be lost. We wouldn't make it. And the way Spurgeon puts it is this way. He says, if one dear saint of God had perished, so might all. If one of the covenant ones be lost, so may all be. And then there is no gospel promise true. But the Bible is a lie. And there is nothing in it worth my acceptance. I will be an infidel at once when I can believe that a saint of God can ever fall finally. If God hath loved me once, then he will love me forever. And friends, as we reflect on this, I want us to take this gratitude at God's forever love as we come to the communion table. When we lack assurance, there's usually something in our life that's amiss. There's a distance between the God who loves us and ourselves. 
Maybe our behavior, our attitudes, and unconfessed sin were grieving the Holy Spirit. We need to keep short accounts with God. Confess our sins. Find forgiveness. We'd like to take time to do that before we come to the Lord's table. The Apostle Paul, remember, writes the definitive passage to the Corinthian church about the Lord's Supper. And it's a corrective passage. He said you, you weren't taking it serious. You are treating it just like a potluck, but not a good potluck where everybody shares. You weren't even sharing. One would have too much, the other would go hungry. One would be thirsty, another one would get drunk. He says, where's, the, where's Jesus in all of that? And so Paul sets aside the cup and the bread to focus on what Jesus did for us. Just as at that Passover meal, Jesus reinterpreted those symbolic elements that spoke of freedom from slavery in Egypt to now the fact that he was delivering us from slavery to sin and death. But as we prepare our hearts, let's take a quiet moment to ask God, search me and know me. Is there any unclean thing in me that I need to confess? Is there a relationship I need to leave my gift at the altar and go make right? If that be the case, maybe you should let the element pass by you today until you can make things right. Let's go to the Lord in quiet prayer. And during that time, I'll invite the servers to join me at the communion table, and then we'll share together. Let's pray. Father, as your children, you hear our prayers. Lord, we look at our lives. Lord, we see how far short of Jesus we fall. We who seek to be Christians, little Christ, to follow in his steps. Lord, may we grow to be more like Jesus day by day. In that process of sanctification, Lord, there are times where we stumble and Lord, we turn to you and say, Father, help us, forgive us strengthen us. And Lord, you hear those prayers, and you always do. Thank you, Father, for the cleansing that we have. And Father, from that grace we experience, we now turn our eyes to years gone by on a hill far away when Jesus shed his blood for us. Lord, though it was far away, it stands true today in all eternity, and the blood has not lost its power to cleanse, and to save. And so, Father, today we are humbled. We come, Lord, thankful for the assurance we have. But knowing that that was bought with a high price, Lord, it grieves us that our sin put Jesus on the cross. But we celebrate his love that kept him there for us. We thank you for the new life we have through Easter morning and having Jesus' resurrection as ours through faith. And now, Lord, as we celebrate and come to the table, may these elements be fresh and new in our hearts and minds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
as I referenced earlier, the Apostle Paul, in writing to the Corinthian church, said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'll call upon Vern to give thanks for the bread, which brings to our hearts and minds the body of Christ given for us. Thank you. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Amen. I'll ask Marlon to give thanks for the cup, which reminds us of the shed blood of Jesus.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the assurance of salvation that we have, uh, not of us, but because of you. And so as we take this cup, we realize the great price that that cost you in your son. And so we're thankful for his, his sacrifice for each one of us. Amen. Amen. same way after supper jesus took the cup said this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me amen brothers and sisters let's stand together as we're dismissed in a word of prayer heavenly father we thank you for the shed blood of christ We thank you for his body given willingly to the cross on our behalf. Lord, we celebrate this deep, deep love of Jesus at his table. And now, Father, may you dismiss us from this place of fellowship and worship and joy to a hurting world that needs us. You send us from this place, Lord, to our ministry as your missionaries to a lost world to share with them the news of freedom, the good news of God's love. May we share it with our words and our lives. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.